Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Over the course of this year, we're going to be looking at eight big themes. Themes that, as disciples, we need to be equipped, uh, established, and new people coming into the faith need to be established in. And we've started off, this, the first section is on God, the next month we're going on to Jesus, and the following month on to the Holy Spirit, and then a school holiday somewhere in there, and we'll have a break, and we'll just have a party and have some fun. But in the meantime, we are now talking about God, God the Father, God Almighty. And as I said last week, we need an elevated view of God in our lives. If our God is too small, that's not the true God. If our God is limited, that's not the true God. And we need to get an understanding of who God is outside of our small-minded boxes that we create. And going to the Word, we move away from a worldview into a word view of who God is. And that is what we are doing. That is what we are focusing on this month. We looked uh, at the attributes of God through Scripture. The fact that He's all-powerful, all-knowing, that He's sovereign. But there's another way that we see the character of God in Scripture. And that is through His name. And through His names. Now, names aren't such a big deal in our modern society but back in the day, the name you got was a big deal. It spoke a lot about who you were. If you were called Michael, then Michael was an important name about your character. And people, I don't know if they've got names later, because how do you know from a baby? Or is that a prophetic declaration? Or what is it? But names aren't so important these days. It's more about how cool do they sound. Like if you've got a name like Rain, you're really cool. Or Zoe, I mean. No, that's life. Zoe's life. It, so, so the names of God, as they reveal to us, are very important in understanding Him. And I just want to share with you this morning uh, around five names of God. And I hope to get to another, the other five next week. There are about 38 or something in Scripture. A lot of them start with L, which is an abbreviation from Elohim. I'm not going to get into those. God Almighty, God Present, God of heaven and earth, God of God, of God, of God, of. We'll put those on the website for those teachers amongst you who like to go and study the nitty-gritties. But I'm going to focus on the, the, the big ones around God, Yahweh. That um, I'm going to look at five this morning. So you think you can stick through five, yeah? So let's, we're going to get going um, ever so soon, as soon as technology comes alive. Is it on? Ah. Did I do that or did someone else do that? Because this light's not on here, Ash, just by the way. Okay, the nature and character of God revealed through his names. And the first one of these is Yahweh. It's the name Yahweh. And it uh, was spelt, it was four Hebrew letters. It was um, Y-H-V-H. Yeah. Yahweh. Some commentators sh show the difficulty because there were no vowels 
it found the name uh, Jehovah uh, or Yahweh. Or if you say it with no vowels, it's just Yahweh. It was the name of God, uh, which was a Hebrew verb for I am. It's like God just saying, I am. He's the eternal present. He's the self-sufficient one. While the heathen gods of this world were um, going by the name of all other kinds of names, they were gods that were tangible, idols carved out of wood and, and, and stone and metals. But for the ancient people to conceive of a god who was outside of time and space in the eternal now was just hard to, to, to understand. And we see in Exodus chapter 3, it says, When Moses said to God, now, now let me just maybe back up on this just quickly and say, remember the children of Israel had been locked in e the Egypt system for 420 years um, after, the, after the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had, uh, had relationship with, with jo Jehovah God, Yahweh God. Uh, they were in, enslaved and taken into Egypt. Um, and after 430 years, they, God wasn't spoken about much. So, so Moses has that burning bush experience, and God makes this calling to him, and that he was going to deliver the people back to himself and become their God once again in the land that he promised their forefather, Abraham. And Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That's Yahweh. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. So God reveals himself to Moses at that burning bush, gives him a command, tells him to remind the people about the God their forefathers served, and his name is Yahweh. He's the ever-present, self-sufficient, all-knowing I am. In fact, uh, in Davidson's commentary, it's interesting, he says, this name, I am, preserves much of his nature hidden from the curious and presumptuous inquirer. Because we cannot, by searching him out, find him. We cannot, by searching, find him out. Interesting that God has to be, he reveals himself. He doesn't get discovered. And something about I am is just that. The God that we seek, but the God who reveals. About 400 years uh, before Jesus came, the rabbi stopped using the name Yahweh and uh, replaced it with the word Adonai because they were too fearful of mispronouncing or getting the name wrong out of fear of uh, not using the Lord's name in vain. That's how distant God had become. This God, I am God eternal, 
who said, I want to be with you. I want to be amongst the people had become to them. And the second name is when Yahweh is, is attached to some other words, and one of them is Elohim. And that simply means the Lord is God. You see, the word Elohim was a kind of generic word for God. Whenever you read God, the gods of the heathens or the gods of the Philistines, or God, uh, in context, in your Bible, will have a small g if it's not the God of Israel, but it has a capital G when the context shows it's the God of Israel. But when the word Yahweh is used in most Bibles, I don't know about modern ones, it's capital L-O-R-D, just to differentiate. And when you see the Lord God, the Lord is God, the Lord or the, the, the two words have been combined. It's Yahweh Elohim. In other words, this is not just one of the Elohim. This is the Lord is the Elohim. This is the Elohim in Genesis chapter 1. It said, in the beginning, God. And then he said, let us create man in our image. And, sorry, I went through that quickly because I don't want the verses sitting up there all the time. Yahweh Elohim. It was the way of communicating that the God that is to be worshipped is Yahweh. The Lord is the one who is God. All the primitive religious people, all the, the heathen nations, all those worshipping idols, understood this need to worship something. You know, that's the common thread through all the religions, is that something is to be worshipped. Even if they misdirected that to a pile of stones, Something in them said has to be worshipped. And then it got distorted and child sacrifice and all other kinds of abominable acts began to be introduced. So the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, wanted to differentiate himself by saying, the Lord is Yahweh. And he is the one to be worshipped. Many scriptures on this, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to go a little bit quickly. But let's, let's look at this one in 2 Samuel, chapter 7. It says, can you read that? Okay. No, we can't. We can. Okay. And who, and who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people who you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. O you, O Lord, became their God. Yeshua Elohim. The Lord is the one to be worshipped. And unfortunately, Israel kind of kept that to themselves. And the Pharisees, the name Pharisee even means separated ones, began to become so inclusive that they excluded anyone else from ever even having an opportunity to worship this God. But God clearly prophesies through Isaiah, and I'll give you the reference, it's Isaiah 42, uh, 5 to 8, where God says, I've made you to be a light for the nations. The very reason God... Uh, rose up 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and this people that he delivered from Egypt, that he gave the covenants and this, the, the, the temple and the, the sacrifices, was so that they could take the knowledge of Yahweh to the world as the God to be worshipped. This is the God we worship this morning. We're worshipping the Lord who is the one true God. And they never got that. The third one is Jehovah Elyon. Simply the Lord is supreme. Now, there's an interesting story. You, you may be familiar with it. In Genesis chapter 14, um, Abraham had been passing through the land of Sodom and the land of near uh, Salem, which became Jerusalem later. And en route into the promised land, he uh, makes some allies of the king of Sodom, the king of Salem. And while he's passing through, those nations are attacked by the Syrians and by um, a whole group of, of, of real baddies that attack them. And Abraham says, no, I'm not going to accept this. I, I'm going to go and pursue them and get the stuff back that they stole from my friends. How would you like to have some friends like that? And you get plundered. They say, hey, I'm taking that personally. I'm going to go and fight for you. So, so Abraham get, gets 318 of his soldiers together, chases three large armies. Any of you seen Vikings on TV? You don't have to put your hands up if you have. I mean, these guys, they went for weeks and weeks fighting. They had two teams. Some would fight by day and the others would rest. The others would rest and then fight by night. They went on weeks fighting like this. A small little group against huge armies. And they pursued them, the Bible says, from Dan all the way to northern Damascus and defeated them. Now, even in today's terminology in Israel, Dan to Damascus is about 450 kilometers. So it's like a day's drive. They pursued the armies to get the stuff back for their friends. And when they return, there's an interesting little discussion that takes place. They, they run into the two kings that are allies to them, the king of Sodom, the king of Salem, who was also a priest. And he was a priest of the religions of that day, but he was so impressed about the, what Abraham had accomplished and knew only God who Abraham serves can be Jehovah El Elyon. Only this could be Jehovah Elyon because this God is the supreme God. And we, and we read it in Genesis 14 from verse 17. After Abraham returned from defeating uh, Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine because he was a priest of Most High God. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram. This is before he became Abraham. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, or God Supreme, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people you've rescued, but take the goods for yourselves. 
But Abram said to the king, Am I still, is it still there? I beg your pardon. Okay. Uh, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, verse 22, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I should not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. And I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And what God said in this context was Abram going, God has put me on a mission, and God said he's going to defeat my enemies, and he's going to provide for us, and I don't want anyone else one day turning around and saying, yeah, well, that's what Abram says, but actually it was us that made him great. He just wanted God to get all the glory. I mean, what do we look to get the glory in our lives when we are successful? We're either looking to God as the one who makes us successful, or we're looking to other things that have made us successful. But he knew it was God. In fact, Melchizedek is so impressed with this that he coins the term Yahweh Elyon because he says this is the one true God, the highest, the God Almighty. And something happened. He was the king from Salem, which later became Jerusalem. And something was started there. Something was planted there. And Abram thought, this is a good ministry to get behind. And he gave him 10% of everything he had. And out of that instance, um, the priesthood came many years later, and, and the, the tithing thing was introduced. But there it was just a one-off gift to Melchizedek saying, you recognize that God is supreme. God is mighty. God is most high. You, the priest, representing, now I want you to represent, and I'm going to make sure you've got provision to do what you've got to do. Isn't that a lovely picture, that? Just shows Abraham's generous heart, because Abraham knew, even when he gave it away, it was God who would make him great. He knew who made him great. See, when God makes us great, do we forget who's made us great? And he knew even if he gave it all away, God would still make him great because it was God who was making him great. Jehovah Elyon. Eventually, Jesus will triumph over Satan in the, in the last battle of Armageddon and his name will be declared the Lord Supreme or Yahweh Elyon. Can you do another two with me? Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Or the word provide could also be interpreted the Lord sees. But it's implied that he's watching. Somebody's watching you. And his name is Jehovah Jireh. He's a God who watches, the God who cares. And where this name first comes up and shows God's character is when Abraham was called by God to be a nation and God would bless him and his descendants would outnumber the sands on the ocean and God promised him a son, Isaac. And through Isaac, the blessing would come. And we know 
you know, he, he, he tried to maneuver his own plans in between God's promise and the fulfillment of it. And Ishmael came along and all the drama that's ever happened out of that relationship. But let's go back to Isaac. Abram now has to go with Isaac and he knows he is going to be the seed of promise. But somewhere along the line, God says, I want to test your heart, Abraham, and see if you'd be willing to take your son up onto a mountain, Moriah, and be willing to sacrifice him. And I don't know, as a parent, what thoughts go through your mind, but the New Testament says that Abraham knew that even if Isaac died, God had the power to resurrect him. And it's quite interesting in the Genesis account that when he goes on the three-day journey to get to Moriah, he leaves his servants and the, 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 the mules at one point and just takes Isaac. And his words are, wait here because we are going up the mountain to worship and we are going to return. Now, that was a prophetic statement. I mean, I, th- I think Isaac could have got a bit nervous right there. You know, walking up the mountain with Dad. Dad's got this little flint in a box thing, you know, fire. You know, Isaac's carrying the wood. But hey, uh, the lamb is missing. And he must have said, Dad, um, <clears throat> Dad, what's going on here? And he said, don't worry, my chop. God's got this all sorted out. God will provide a lamb. Jehovah Jireh, my God shall provide a lamb. And they get up to the mountain, gets tied down, the whole story, and uh, we read in Genesis 22, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram, and and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abram lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. We're going to look back from heaven one day, and we're going to see how many times God provided for us that we didn't even know we were provided for. We're going to see, you're going to see so many rams caught in the thicket that you didn't even know was a ram. You're going to realize how many times you were delivered from calamity and spared from things because God provided supernaturally in ways we don't see in this lifetime. But God made a covenant on that mountain with Abraham because in that same group of mountains around Moriah is Golgotha. And there God said, I will outdo you, Abraham, because I'm coming as a man and I'm going to let you murder me and bleed my blood from me and, and kill me. And I will rise up on the third day with a new covenant in my blood and I will do what I promised to you that all nations are going to be saved. All nations are going to come to the mountain of the Lord and worship me. Whatever trial you're going through now, know that the cross points to the greatest sacrifice, Jehovah Jireh, who has provided. The last one, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner. We see there in, in Exodus chapter 17 that there's the account of Israel going through the wilderness grumbling, moaning, 
they were tired. There had been years of wandering. They were thirsty at this stage. Um, they said to Moses, can't we go back to Egypt? I mean, we're so tired of this manna day and night. Manna from manna, manna. It's like, you know, manna burger, manna pizza, manna pasta, manna, you know, Greek, manna Portuguese, manna steers, manna McDonald's, manna, manna. It's like we saw over this, Moses, and we're thirsty. We're like dying out here. And they start grumbling. Now, I know this was Israel because we know the church would never, they'd never be grumbling in the church. Um, so so he's, got, he's got this conflict going on. God gives him a word to strike the rock that uh, we know is a picture of Christ's provision as stated in, uh, one, in Corinthians. And uh, out of the rock flows the water. The people, are, but as they're drinking and are being satisfied, they get attacked by the Malachites. Now, I mean, it doesn't rain, it pours. Have you heard that expression? It's like you just got this drama. People, people grumbling around you getting their needs met, but at the same time, you're being attacked by, by armies. And that was the account when Moses was so exhausted and he went up into the mountain. He felt like dying. And, and um, Aaron and her came and lifted his arms up and he interceded. And while he was praying, the Lord brought deliverance. Do you need, do you need an Aaron and a her to come around you at times? It's only the pastor that doesn't need that. Because we just walk on air and wake up to the sound of singing angels. And we open our mouths, just anointing flows without even having to pray for it. No, no, there's men around us who are praying, who are lifting up our hands. I'm grateful for those people, and I'm sure you are. And God gave them the victory in Exodus 17. It says that Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Interesting thing about a banner is that a banner goes ahead of the army. The banner doesn't trail behind. It's not like, you know, we're moving ahead and we hope God can keep up to us. It's more like God is moving and all we're doing is finding which way he's moving so we can keep up with him. What battles are you facing? What is your banner? What banner are you marching under? Now, I've said all this, and I've spoken about God revealing himself through his names. We've only taken those five this morning, Yahweh, Elohim, Elyon, Jireh, and Nisi. And we're speaking about having an exalted view of God's Revelation of himself. But as I'm preparing and as I'm praying over this, I'm just so aware that there's so many people in this church with so many needs and challenges and obstacles that they're facing. Hello? Anyone out there? And this thought occurs to me. I I won't take credit for it because there was a documentary on TV called... um, the law of attraction. Anyone hear of that or see that? The, the law of attraction takes all the psychology of visualization and expectation and, and blah, blah, blah. And some good stuff, not wrong. Some, some very practical stuff in there. And there's a book that's been written, The Law of Attraction. And I'm thinking, you know what's the greatest law of attraction according to the Bible? 
is not when people come with a fat cat attitude of, well, I'm already satisfied and happy and I don't need anything because all my needs are met and I'm okay, Jack, and I don't care about you. When we come with that attitude, we're not the law of attraction. You know what the law of attraction is? It's like when we sung that song earlier, I'm hungry for more of you. I want to know you more. That's the law of attraction. That's when God says, I want to show myself to that person. Now, I've not often said in this church, God's not attracted to our needs, He's attracted to faith. But I want to back up a bit and just qualify that a little bit. I'm not just talking about being needy in, in, in unbelief. I'm talking about being needy, but still being willing to trust God. You see, when you're encountering a real need in your life, you're like, you're like a car running on empty that's driving past a petrol station, and that petrol station is drawing on you to be filled. But when your tank is filled, you don't even notice the petrol station. You see, I'm talking about people who come with a deep sense of, I need the presence of God in my life. I need my needs met. And that's what this message is all about today. This message is about us saying that God Almighty is Jireh. And that simply means where there's a need in your life for provision, you are putting into effect the law of attraction that says, God, I'm an empty car, you're a full petrol station, and here I am right now. Jehovah Yahweh itself, the name Yahweh, Moses said, unless your presence goes ahead of us, we're not going to be able to lead these people. And God says, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, but who shall I tell the people you are? He says, I am the self-existent one. I am the I am. You see, it's the I am who's the Jire, who is the Yahweh. Whatever need you facing right now in your life that needs the presence of God, the leading of God, the direction of God, Yahweh says, your need attracts me to you. Now, only believe. What about Yahweh Elohim? God, the, the Lord is God. The God is to be worshipped. That is our purpose as a church. That's why we want to be focused around discipleship because the world needs to know who they're called to worship. Not worshipping governments or worshipping substance abuse or worshipping philosophical systems or worshipping entertainment or worshipping hedonism, but worshipping the God who is the Lord who is God, the one true God. Worshipping that God. When we as a church start expressing a need, God, we want the world to know you. We want the world to worship you. That we want the world to know how good you are. We are calling on Yahweh Elohim to show himself as the God who is the Lord, who is God. Yahweh Elyon. Maybe you've been plundered in your life unfairly. Things have been taken from you. Maybe in your family. Like Abraham's situation with the kings of, of Salem and, and, and Sodom. Maybe people around you have been robbed and, 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 and beaten down and abused. And 
Is there something in you that says, God, this is not right? Do you get that feeling? When you see a good friend going through a sickness and, and in the natural degenerating, going down, 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 something rises up in, in you when you stand at that hospital bed and you say, I know that this is not from God because Jehovah, Yahweh, is supreme. He's Elyon. He's above this. He's my banner that goes ahead of me into battle. What battles are you facing right now in your life? Are you having a battle at the office where people are just being unfair and they just keep on creating havoc around you where your, your buyers and sellers are undercutting each other and walking in corruption and a lack of integrity and it's affecting your life? you in a battle, my friend. Or in your family, in your marriage. It's just continual friction and misunderstanding to the point of just being depressed. You're in a battle. You're fighting. But Jehovah Nissi wants to show himself as the one who fights your battle for you. Who goes ahead into your battle. Ahead of you. He is your Yahweh Nissi. He is the conquering one. He is the banner that flies over our lives. It was Jesus who said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If you will lift him up, he will make a way in the wilderness. He'll cause those mountains to be leveled. He will cause the valleys to be raised up. If we see him as Yahweh Nissi, God, our banner, the Lord, our banner. If we see him as Jehovah uh, 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 Elyon, God who is supreme, and we worship that God and that God alone. My friend, whatever need you're facing, whatever difficulty or, or misunderstanding or, or, or hardship you're in right now, it's time to lift our eyes and say, God, you have revealed yourself to me. It's no use. I just come and sit and listen to a sermon about the names of God. That means squat. I can quote the Hebrew and Greek uh, enough to, to sink a fleet of she ships. It means absolutely nothing until I put faith in that God, that omnipotent, that all-present, that all-knowing God. Can we stand up together? Can we lift up our hands? And can we say, God, you see my need. And you're attracted. You're not running away from me. You know, we sometimes say, oh, I don't want to be around needy people. You know, when you're too many needy people around you. Because it can exhaust you. If you're a pastor and you've got too many needy people, you feel overwhelmed. But there's something about God that is not overwhelmed. He loves us coming as a needy people. He said, blessed are the needy because they are are going to be satisfied. Come on, church. Let's just lift up our hands. Let's call on our God, the great God, our Yahweh, our Yahweh Almighty. Lord, we come this morning. You see every need. You see every deficiency. You see where we've been plundered illegally. You're the God who sees. You see those who have been plundered and their sickness and infirmity is trying to raise ascendancy over them. You see where we're just struggling. We're just on empty. This morning, Lord of heaven, God most high, God my provider, 
God supreme, God our banner. Would you look down upon the needs of your people? And right now as your word says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. Let the glory fall. Let the glory permeate. Let the glory run like a river in this place today. Let the rivers of God, the manifest glory of His presence, bring me to a place of complete confidence that my need is not abhorrent to God. My need is not distasteful to God. My need doesn't mean God sees me any less. In fact, it's that very need this morning that says, Lord, 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 you be God of this situation.